Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to visit primed.com slash podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Claudia is a 35-year-old female coming in for her annual health maintenance visit. Her last cervical cancer screening was at age 30, where she had cytology with HPV testing, which was negative. She has never had an abnormal pap or HPV test before and did receive the HPV vaccine in her 20s. She is asking about whether she should continue to have screening with co-testing every five years, as was her previous recommendation, or are there other options available for her? How should we best advise Claudia today regarding a screening strategy? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Jillian Joseph, physician assistant and clinical instructor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the UMass Chan Medical School, and assistant professor in the Department of PA Studies at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences University, both in Worcester, Massachusetts. Good morning, Jillian. Good morning, Frank. Um, the testing and screening guidelines for cervical cancer remain confusing. Can you give us a quick overview, please? I sure can. It seems like they're updating every uh, five minutes or so for me anyway. <laughs> I agree. So, but this, good news. So as of April 2021, uh, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology endorsed the USPSTF guidelines. And so these guidelines are based on the age of the patient. So for individuals who have a cervix and no signs or symptoms of cervical cancer, there's no recommendation for screening for women less than 21 years old. For women who are 21 to 29, there's good grade A recommendation for cytology alone every three years. Then once a woman reaches age 30 up to age 65, this is where it gets a little bit complicated. So there are three different recommendations or three different options and they all have grade A evidence. So you could do cytology alone every three years. You could do primary high-risk HPV testing alone every five years, or you can do co-testing with high-risk HPV testing and cytology every five years. After 65, as long as there have been three consecutive negative cytology results or two consecutive negative co-tests or primary HPV tests within the last 10 years, no screening is recommended. In patients who have had hysterectomy for benign reasons, have no history of high-grade cervical precancerous lesions or history of cervical cancer, no screening is recommended for that uh, category of patients as well. So American Cancer Society is now recommending patients who have a cervix have primary HPV testing every five years without cytology at all, starting at age 25 and stopping at age 65. As long as the patient is low risk, you can stop after 65, meaning there's not been CIN2 or greater within the last 25 years, and they've had negative screening results for the last 10 years. So this is a little bit different than the, the typical ACOG and USPSTF guidelines that we all generally follow. I'm normally a tad cynical about the American Cancer Society being strident 
with aggressive testing, this is quite remarkable that they've taken a much less aggressive approach, and it's very refreshing. Uh, why the shift from the American Cancer Society towards an older age of first screening and just using primary HPV testing? Great question. So there's a great article in American Family Physician that really summarizes this well. So less than 1% of all cervical cancers are diagnosed in patients younger than 25 years old. And we know that screening earlier doesn't prevent these cancers. We also know that many of the abnormalities you might find in patients 21 to 24 are HPV related. And most of these will resolve without any intervention because in Infection in that age group is generally transient. Additionally, treatments of these abnormalities when found in younger patients can increase the risks of preterm birth. Primary HPV testing is approved by the FDA for patients 25 years and older. It's more sensitive and it has a higher long-term negative predictive value than cytology. So when compared to primary HPV testing alone, co-testing actually increases false positive results and minimal effect on uh, detection of cancer. So that's a quick summary of the evidence sort of supporting the shift in the guidelines. And, and it's so true. Um... You, you both increase false positives with, 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 uh, with cytology. It's more uncomfortable for the patient often. And, you know, if anything, it, it makes your patient outcomes worse. So um, aside from higher sensitivity and better negative predictive value compared to cytology, what are the other benefits of primary HPV testing, and are there any risks? Of course, with everything there's risks, right? But let's talk about the benefits first. So following these new recommendations from ACS, there's a prediction model that estimates deaths from cancer per 100,000 patients remains the same with their guidelines as with the ACOG guidelines. It also estimates that the average lifetime pelvic exams per patient will be reduced by about half. So most women patients will probably welcome that change, I would imagine. And the model also predicts that there would be a slight increase in the rate of colposcopy in a patient's lifetime with the ACS guidelines. Another risk includes that the longer screening interval. So this can be a problem for adherence to screening, especially for patients who have limited access to care. Yep, I think we, we, we take care of uh, a variety of patient populations, most of my patients are low and no income and have irregular access to health care. So on one hand, every five years sounds awesome. On the other, we have to make sure we're, we're being fairly careful with regards to keeping people on track and, and following up with them. Agreed. Um, so for Claudia... Um, how should we advise her? What should we tell her to going forward? Yeah, so she's over 30. She's had negative screening so far. Um, she seems pretty educated, right, to be asking this kind of question in her annual health maintenance visit. So I think she would be well served by five-year screening interval with primary HPV testing alone. And so for her in her particular demographic, this falls under the recommendations of ACOG, USPSTF, and ACS, which is great. If she were a little younger, like between 25 and 30, if she was engaged in care, had good follow-up, I think I would still recommend primary high-risk HPV testing alone for her as her screening method. The problem is it's the primary testing is not readily available in all areas, so we just have to make sure that it is available before recommending this for her. It would cut down on her overall lifetime pelvic exams and her overall lifetime healthcare costs, so it would benefit her in more than one way. I couldn't agree more. Um, 
we like to do as little to make patients feel uncomfortable, uh, especially for screening purposes. We're doing something to help prevent something in the future. Every five-year, high-risk HPV testing makes so much sense. And I would easily envision that within the next five to 10 years, patients will be able to obtain these on their own. And so even less discomfort. We've known for a while that bimanual exams are not necessarily helpful in patients without complaints in identifying ovarian or uterine cancer. So there's a huge potential for high-risk HPV testing, and I love seeing this becoming the standard of care over time. Thank you so much, Jillian. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Practice pointer. Consider primary HPV testing starting at age 25 and testing every five years for the prevention of cervical cancer. Join us next time when we talk about managing teenage sexuality and contraception. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcasts. And see you next week.